Good morning. This is Chickie Fitzgerald and the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is Friday, December 14th, 2012. I cannot believe that the year is almost over. Where did it go? Our guests this morning are the authors of a fascinating book on giving called Women and Philanthropy, Boldly Shaping a Better World. And I absolutely love this book for a whole bunch of reasons, but especially, and I don't think we talked about this when I interviewed them before, uh, is the the cover design, which has uh, a dollar bill. Actually, it may have more than just a dollar bill folded up into the form of a flower, and it is just beautiful. So our guests this morning, and let me introduce them, Sandra Shah-Hardy and Martha Taylor. Sandra and Martha, welcome. Thank Thank you so much. And Martha, I know you're in Madison, Wisconsin. Sandra, where are you located? I'm in Traverse City, Michigan, Ah, way up in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. Got it, got it. So uh, you are both used to uh, cold weather in December. We actually have a, a rather chilly day here in Florida, but Probably I know I'm 70. not going to get any sympathy from you guys. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Jackie, well, I wanted to say something about the cover of the book that you mentioned because uh, Martha and I, when we saw that cover, we loved the idea of the tree and the leaves. Right. But it was all dollar bills, and we wanted a great deal of what we ask women to think about is is stretching their giving and um, thinking about giving more. And we wanted that change to hundred dollar bills, but we we didn't uh, that didn't work out. But <laughs> but it is interesting that you brought that up because it is a, it is a nice cover, and, and we agree. Oh, I love it. And, you know, I I am a sucker, just just like on wine bottles. I, I think I always buy the wine bottle based on the label. Uh, I'm the same <laughs> way with books. And it's funny because a, a lot of authors will send me their books. And if it doesn't have a great cover, I you know, I just have a hard time because it's such a crowded marketplace out there uh, yeah. you know, in, in, in becoming an author to begin with and, you know, let alone having a book that actually sells. So why don't we do this? Um, Sandra, why don't you uh, – introduce Martha to us. I always like doing that where, where you can brag on her a little bit and tell us uh, how, how you met her and, and what role she played in writing this book. Oh, I am delighted. Uh, as a matter of fact, Martha, is it okay if I announce that that you are um, being nominated for professional... Well, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm you're announcing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> For Professional Fundraiser of the Year for the Association of Fundraising Professionals. So it would be such an honor and such a well-deserved honor for Martha to get this. And the nominations had to be in um, this past Monday by, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning or something. So so, um, not that I'm not not familiar with what Martha has done, but because I sent in the nomination, I am, am so familiar and I was so delighted to be able to do it. Martha started the first women's um, giving initiative, philanthropy initiative at a public university, the first one in the United States and that was in 1988 and since that time I I think there are close to a hundred and more happening every day. There's a big movement now taking place amongst the community colleges to set up women's giving initiatives and and uh, Martha and I have collaborated over the years with four or five books that we've uh, written, co-authored, co-edited. Um, Martha uh, was the one who came up with the idea at, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to start a women's philanthropy initiative or institute. Um, I mean separate from the women's giving, but because she heard from so many people from all over the United States about her successful program at Wisconsin, she felt that there needed to be some clearinghouse. And so um, the Women's Philanthropy Institute was started in, I believe, 91 at the university. It became over the years a 501c3, a nonprofit, and now is located at the Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University. So um, her baby has grown up and is now in college and uh, doing doing <laughs> splendid research. Oh, wow. So Martha has really been the 
forerunner of the uh, modern women's philanthropy movement along with uh, people like Tracy Gary. People like and, you, Sandra. Well, all right, but, <laughs> but you're, you're the one who... get your who, turn, Martha. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so it's Martha's turn? Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Well, I had to go right in and say, yes, people like you, Sandra... Um, I mean, Sandra, you and I really were um, in a, a, a group of maybe ten women nationally who I would consider are the pioneers of women's yes. philanthropy uh, movement, the modern movement. I mean, and maybe it's only five people. But um, there were uh, a group of us who were really, really focused on the issue of women's philanthropy and I think we were because we really felt women could, I guess, change the dial on what percentage Americans gave to charity and to nonprofits, and that we really could change the world. And I think that's what motivated us forever, Sandra. Uh, but Sandra and I met, and yes, it's nice to have ideas and so on, but unless you have a girlfriend, an executive girlfriend, <laughs> as the name of your program is, you're never going to go anywhere. And I think going to the themes of your program, Chicky, is that um, women who work together are going to achieve a lot. They're going right. to change the world. And the friendship of Sandra and I have really um, launched us to do all these things um, because Sandra... Uh, and I uh, wrote, I think our initial article was on um, career women. And I had met Sandra at a luncheon one day, and she had just moved to Madison, Wisconsin from Washington, D.C. And I turned to her and I, I said, oh, well, they must be doing something with women and philanthropy. And she thought I meant um, women in development. And I said, no, women as donors. And she said, oh, I'm so interested in that. Let's get together and talk about it. So ever since then, it's just been a wonderful friendship and partnership on women's philanthropy. And Sandra has made her own special um, contributions to the field, as you know, as both of us have, and as many other pioneers. Um, but her particular areas, I think, were some of the most innovative. Uh, things related to donor education, what we do for women to teach philanthropy, some of the ways of communicating women's philanthropy, like the six C's of women's philanthropy. Sandra made them all up, except for I made up celebrate, right, Sandra? Right. <laughs> and then, uh, but to, to, and we did focus groups. She had the idea of doing focus groups with women. I think the other thing about Sandra that is so amazing is that um, she just committed herself for, what, 20 five years, to this, to speaking all over the country and moving along the field of women's philanthropy. The other thing is she had a dream that every city in America would have a women's giving circle. And this is a whole thing some of your listeners, Chicky, may be interested in doing that we can talk about. But the idea is women get together and they combine their resources with the same amount of money either attached to one nonprofit or to nonprofits in the community. And these giving circles are now, there's, what, 600 all around the country? Oh, yes, and more every day. And so yeah. Sandra's dream has come true, but it's not because just by accident. It's a lot due because of Sandra's writing on this. She wrote the first book on this and her teaching uh, on this all around the country. So well, thank you, Martha. But yeah. I have to interject and say that it really, it was the times, and women were earning yeah. their own money. They were t taking control of their money. They had more choices in careers than ever before, and attending universities in greater numbers than men. So there, there's a lot that that just made made this happen. It 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 took a couple of people maybe to suggested but the whole the whole country and actually the world was ready was ready for this to happen. Yeah, and I think the other thing that just to build on Chicky what Sandra just said is Sandra and I we were just listening to what was going on in the exactly. world. Exactly. That's all we did. 
And the other thing is, the the only thing we did is really to try to put women's voices in, in some kind of an organized way to get the message out to each other about the importance of being a philanthropist and to look at philanthropy in a new way, a woman's way, in that we are going to have a different way, first of all, of getting involved with philanthropy, but also our philanthropy itself, what we give to and the way we give it, it's right. going to be different than men. And so I think we were just listening. I think that we started with yes. focus groups. Right. And, right. Um, the you know, we talked a lot with women in the in the media. We worked with women in the media mm-hmm. a lot. And we worked in studies and interviews. And we collaborated all around the country with other women of like minds that really felt they could make a difference. So it is truly a movement. It really is. Well, and you know, along the way, Chicky, the word, we, mm-hmm. along the way, we did some, I think, some some fun and funny things because we felt that nobody was going to turn us down. That we believed so passionately in this that we knew everybody else would. And one of the funny things that we did that didn't work out but has over the years, there's a whole lot now of financial institutions in particular who are supporting um, women's philanthropy programs, powers of the first lunches and everything. Well, one day we were in San Francisco at a conference, and um, Saks Fifth Avenue was very close to where we were. So we decided that we would go shopping, of course. And we got there, and then we decided that we would – uh, ask them. It just made sense that Sex Fifth Avenue would want to sponsor a, a women's philanthropy <laughs> program, and right. so we went up to the executive offices, and we didn't get very far <laughs> with that. <laughs> but we were just so sure that it was going to work out. And then another time in Los Angeles at a conference was a long, long time ago, maybe 1991 or two. We decided we've got to write a book. We have to write a book about women in philanthropy. So we took ourselves over to a booth at this huge, huge conference and went up to a publisher and said, we would like to write a book about women in philanthropy. There isn't any book out. And guess what he said? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and that was, our, that was our first book called Reinventing Fundraising, Realizing the Potential of Women's Philanthropy. So the uh-huh. point is this is a, a executive women's um, a group that you have is that if you believe enough, you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I want to back up just a little bit because, and I think we talked about this when I interviewed you on uh, my show, Uncommon Giving. The word philanthropy has a connotation attached to it that is like an enormous pair of shoes uh, <laughs> that you would step into. And and many of us grew up thinking about that word only in the context of the wealthy and mm-hmm. and those who had uh, you know inherited money and who had family foundations and trusts. And I know you have worked really really hard to break that stereotype. And and I want to uh, turn our attention uh, actually to the book itself because I I love the way that you have laid out the book and, and I do want you to uh, address the question that I've just posed, but I want to give you a little time to think about it. Um, but the way that the book is structured is really talking first about the differences between women and men. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is really the hows and the whys of, of women's philanthropy and that it doesn't have to be, you know, just pulling out the checkbook, which I, I think in this particular day and age uh, is also a really important thing to look at. And then the the last part of the book, uh, you know, focuses on building bridges, you know, to the other half and, and what is the future of philanthropy. So why don't uh, you each take uh, a uh, – crack at what I was saying, that we've got this big, big word, philanthropy. Uh, I I tend to gravitate toward the word giving simply because it sounds uh, like it's attainable. So uh, talk to me about that. Sure. Uh, Well, maybe I'll go first. I I, I think since our last conversation, uh, this is is an issue, I think, for men and women, but particularly women, to own it, the word. So I I have a new saying that this is going to be a title of a speech or something. I am a philanthropist. Be it. Say it. 
Oh, I like that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I just think uh, we need to say it, and we need to say what it is. And what it is is giving time and money to benefit humankind. It's more, in recent terms, focusing in on the money part. But it does include the time. But it, it is that we're giving. Um, women kind of tend to go there. But what the issue with giving is, if you say charitable giving, or giving to nonprofits, but women give so much in other ways. We give love right. to our family. We give cookies to the stranger. We give our time to the homeless shelter. Um, we give, uh, you know, to the neighbors and, you know, that kind of thing. So there's other ways of giving. And we sacrifice sometimes our own self-interest to help our family. We give in a lot of different ways. Um, so what? that's why the word giving I don't think describes um, philanthropy, mm-hmm. and and so that's why I like the word. <laughs> I, well, I do too, and I, I like your statement that you know, say it, be it. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, it, I do it really is that call to action, and and uh, you know, I I think we step up to the plate when someone asks us to, and I love the your introductions about each other because what you talked about was simply saying what you needed and finding that people actually did want to help. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think some of that is just, you know, getting getting off the dime of having someone ask you to step up. So let's talk first about the, the differences. Um, and, and I love the first chapter, which is women are not little men. I don't, that was Sandra. Sandra made up all those catchy titles for everything. She's just so She's good. She's the marketeer of the group. She's the marketeer. I'll tell you that. Yes, right. but, well, we, when Martha and I first started talking about this, now again we're back now in San Francisco and, and Los Angeles, doing our our kind of crazy things. People just didn't think that there were any differences. Uh, a lot of people didn't think. Even some women, and they thought that. Uh, uh, Women didn't have the money that, uh, and if they had the money, they wouldn't give it, or they gave it in the same ways as the men did, and they certainly didn't give it in, in, any differently. And so, it over the years, as we have come from women wearing um, little ties and, and uh, suits like we used to do, we have discovered that, in fact, there are differences and it's okay. And those differences are wonderful differences. We're not as tall, generally. We, uh, Our brains are different. Ours is actually more connected, the right and the left side, even though the men's brains are bigger. Um, and there are just we speak differently. There are just all these differences, and there are differences in giving. Of course, the main reason why women weren't giving is they weren't being asked because people didn't think that they had the money or that they gave right. any differently. And so over the years, we've found through many of our men friends, incidentally, like Bruce Flesner from Ben's Whaley Flesner in Minneapolis, who's been a strong supporter of ours all along, that guys are competitive, and that's why capital campaigns, uh, uh, they so like capital cam- campaigns because the language is so athletic and 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 uh, army-like. You have teams, you have captains, you have goals. And uh, and, and guys revel in that kind of, of thing, whereas women are much more collaborative. They want to do things together. And all of these... Uh, all of these differences now the, the guys even because I speak to a lot of men nowadays in mixed audiences and they agree with this that there are differences in the ways that men and women give and neither of them is is best it's just a good thing to to acknowledge and recognize these mm-hmm. well very interesting and you know I look at uh, what women are capable of and and I love the notion of getting women together locally to pool their resources because sometimes the task seems so big whatever problem it is that you're trying to solve seems so big and you know your individual contribution whether it's time or money or talent um can seem so insignificant in in the scope of of what you're trying to solve. And I think putting women together is a, a very, very natural way 
uh, to get the ball rolling, if you will. So let's talk about the power of the purse because, I uh, again, I, I think that the phrase just by itself is powerful because it, it, it distinguishes women from men. Uh, I, well, I realize there are men who carry purses, um, but it shows that women are powerful in this vein. Well, what I'm amazed at is that the power of the purse, that 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 title, has so taken off around the country mm-hmm. in in lunches for women's giving circles and women's uh, philanthropic initiative. And we have one here in uh, Traverse City that we're just starting up for the uh, uh, for Goodwill. They're going to have this May Fourth, which is the day before. Mother's Day, and every every one of them is a, a little different in the way that it's organized, but it just has such meaning for for women because, well, think of the power of the purse. Women control more than 50% of the nation's wealth. We're, uh, we're earning money at a faster rate overall than men are. We will end up with most most of the money. Most of us are going to end up being single anyway. Um, because men pass away five to seven years earlier than women do. So when you have the financial institutions looking at at women's um, investments the way they are, you know that, that there's something out there and there's something happening, and that, that power of the purse is so significant. Yeah, and I, and I, I love that title, too, because uh, it it just, it, as you said, Chicky, it is for women. I mean, we relate to the person where that's where our money is, and but also we talk about things like our a lot. Most of our money is really actually not in our purse. It's in our investment portfolio, and so to be really looking at where our money is and talking about the bigger picture of where our assets are, because um, I think that's. You know, part of the discussion to empower women to be philanthropists is, you know, really to be looking at all of their assets and to be using them, not just from check checkbook kind of things out of their right. out of their purse. Um, going back also to one of the things you you mentioned, Chicky, was about the issue of being concerned that you can't make a difference on certain problems. Mm-hmm. And that the the um, the giving circle really does address this, um, but a couple other little things for women to think about. Um, one is if you take the amount of money that you're giving right now, and um, then multiply it by your life expectancy, the annual amount you're giving, multiply it times your life expectancy. It's shocking how huge that number is. Right. Okay, and, and I think so that kind of empowers you to say, hey, I really should look at what I'm doing. And so part of the the discussion on that is to look at also adding in then what you're going to leave to nonprofits in your estate. Right. And so a lot of women even start the conversation on consider charity another child. So the idea of that is, if you have two children, consider charity the third child. Mm-hmm. So, and that again is language a lot of women relate to. Uh, so that you give, if you have two children, you give thirty-three percent of your um, your assets at your death to your charitable interest. So, if but even whatever amount you do in your will or in your estate, add that into your um, total lifetime giving. And then it you it becomes apparent to a lot of women that I really don't have a plan for this, and I have a plan for everything else I'm doing in my life related to my money and so instead of so that's where you get into all the literature that Sandra and I have looked at related to how women give and the fact that um studies have shown that women give twice as many gifts of as men and now the Research has shown that we actually give more per year. But the, that fact, if you look at it, that means we're scattering our giving. And part of the research that Sandra and I did, a lot of it you know, with, with focus groups, was the fact that women felt they couldn't say no to anybody, and there's so many good causes. So one of the things, and also Tracy Gary, uh, a leader, and Ellen Remmer, and other women, we, we kind of 
um, strategized and really talking about the idea of having um, strategic philanthropy. And there's been a lot of leaders in in this whole idea uh, around the country from men, too. Charlie Collier from Harvard is an example. Bruce Flessner, we mentioned him earlier. So the idea is that you look at um, and, and focus on three primary goals or issues in society that you want to help solve. And to be looking at that, and sure, it might change on an every three- or five-year basis um, with particular campaigns that you're giving to, but to really look at a plan for your giving. And then you feel like you are really are making a difference because you're more right. strategic. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the hows and whys of women's philanthropy. And uh, I would love, uh, you mentioned or alluded to the six Cs. Let's let's talk about the six uh, Cs, plus you also say that there are three others. Well, we discovered in a couple of focus groups that we had about career women and their giving that we broke it down into boomer women and then the new older woman or the primetime woman. And all of these women were employed in professions and or they managed corporations. And we discovered it, even though there was a difference in the generations, there was not a difference in the reasons why women give, why these women gave, and the motivations. And that was about 20 years ago. And these same six Cs, uh, we've been told that people start their giving circles and their um, philanthropy initiatives using these six Cs, and they they keep looking at them to be sure that they're still following them to make sure that the women are, are still engaged. And they start with with change. Women want to change things. They want to make things better. They want to create something. That's the second one. Create something in response to a human need to make a difference. And they want to commit to either an existing organization or one that they are creating or a new program within an existing corporation or existing institution. They want to um, commit to the mission, and they want to connect. They want to be, women want to be involved, which is generally a big difference between women and men's giving because men are more likely to not, needs the involvement before nor the follow-up afterwards, and women pretty much don't do that no matter what um, stage of life they're in or what career choice they might have or or stay-at-home mother. They, they want that connection. And then collaboration, that, again, is a really big difference because so many men, with men, it's competition, and with women, they want to do things together. They want to be sure that they're not reinventing something uh, they 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 want to um just be together and do things and that's why so many special events have have worked so well for women although we're trying to get women to to advance beyond special ev- events and to uh, to give more out of their checkbook and out of their assets and then finally in the six C's is uh, the one that that Martha referred to earlier and that celebrate they want to celebrate and have fun with their giving mm. and and celebrate one another's givings giving and and say I am a philanthropist and that feels good and the three new C's that have come out of women's giving is Probably the first one is the most important one, and that is control. Women are taking control of their finances. Until you do that, you can't be a philanthropist. It gets back to what Martha was talking about with planning. You you can't plan your life, uh, and if they're taking control of their life, through taking control of their finances. And we see that more and more happening. And then um, confidence. Women are having the confidence to say, like with Women Moving Millions, the campaign that that the Hunt Sisters with the uh, uh, Women's Funding Networks had where over 100 women gave over a million dollars each. Now, women aren't weren't noted for giving or being asked, certainly, for that, that kind of money. And women had the confidence to do that. And finally, the courage, the courage to try new things. Maybe they won't always work. Maybe not everything um, it, it is going to be successful, but the courage to look at a problem and an issue and say, yes, I'm going to 
to do this. And I think that's why you're seeing so many of these uh, programs in the in the third world countries is because women, you can only see the Eiffel Tower or ride a camel or something so many times. But when you look around in those countries and see some of the issues that need to be dealt with, women are daily starting uh, organizations, foundations to deal with world problems. So um, we're really proud of what women are doing. Well, it's exciting, and you know, I I have been uh, working for the last year on on a new venture to try uh, to tap into the kind of non cash part of of what what people can do, and not just women, but uh, through my efforts with traveling to give, and and there are so many organizations that reach. You know, not not just tens of thousands, but but hundreds of thousands of of donors on their mailing lists, and can, are continually going out and trying to get them uh, to pull out the checkbook, or or you know, if it's a local organization that has volunteer opportunities, um, you know, that is looking for that time commitment. Um, and we believe that there's this other dimension of giving, of of giving off of those things that you do all the time. And you know, we have uh, found that if an organization reaches a hundred thousand people, and they could get just ten percent of them to commit to, uh, you know, to use a new travel platform that was customized for that organization, that we would then give back almost a quarter of a million dollars to that organization for the travel done by their donors. And, you know, I believe there's so much power in that. And But, you know, it's really been a tough nut to crack. And I just got off uh, another radio show on Uncommon, Given, Uncommon Giving this morning uh, with um, Jacob Harold, the new head of GuideStar. And, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, how we really need – or an organization that serves to vet these kinds of opportunities so that you know uh, large organizations who want to find other ways to tap into their giving network can know that these uh, organizations are solid and and you know have been vetted and uh you know that it really uh, opens up this new opportunity because i think you know we we all know that if we do have the resources and and if we can commit both to giving while we're alive and I love the third child uh concept you know we we do know how to do that and mm-hmm. you know we can have greater power if we can get other women in our community together for these giving circles and you know again finding ways to donate and finding sites that help us uh you know target what those uh volunteer opportunities would be but i think there's you know kind of the next uh frontier are these other ways that we can give back out of what we do every day and you know it's kind of interesting because when Martha and I started in fundraising we were always told don't ask um 100 people to give uh $10 or a, a 500 people to give $25 because so many of them can give more. And yet the thing that really is working right. nowadays, and, and I think it has so much to do with the social media, is so much money is being raised that way. And it's a collaborative kind of connective kind of giving that's not what we would typically think of as being philanthropic, but it ends up people finding their monies, they can leverage their gift and uh, how much more uh, $25,000 can do than um, than $25. So uh, it's been a whole shift. I don't know, Martha, that we've ever talked about that, but I, it's been a whole shift in giving. Now, if I was raising money for a university, at, as Martha's doing, it would be a different sort of um, uh, thing for me. I would not probably feel quite so strongly that way, but because I mostly work with community organizations, I can see the the change. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But the pennies do add up, and, and mm-hmm. you know, it has been effective, and, uh, you know, all of the different options for giving online. But, you know, as we started taking a look, because of my background in travel, at, at you know, what the potential was, the average person and these would be the types of people who would give in the smaller denominations, you know, as a whole. They travel four times a year uh, for for leisure travel, and most of them travel at least six or seven times on business. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, 
the amount of money that that can amass is is mm-hmm. really enormous in the aggregate. You know, I mean, uh, on an individual basis, it may not be so substantial. But, you know, if you look at, at uh, a university, you look at all of the university travel, sports travel, student travel, parent travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it is enormous. So I, I, I don't think we're alone in finding ways to leverage uh, just the normal things that we do in, in business life to augment, uh, you know, these other types of, of um, approaches. So let's let's um, talk about why it's important to build bridges back to the other half. So men have these preconceived notions about women. Why do we need to help them figure out why to bring women to the table? Martha? Okay. Okay. I think that uh, one of the things both we've seen in society, but, again, a lot of people have been spending a lot of time on this for the last 20 years, is really to talk about the issue of um, parity in making um, decisions in um, a married couple. I'm I'm focusing on this because of of your question. Um, related to all all life decisions and um the fact that women you know are not going to be the the secondary person in the family but but equal and we've all heard heard about this our whole you know lives as we have grown up as uh, the mo- women's movement so where does that leave um philanthropy I think where that leaves philanthropy is the issue of parity in giving in the household, so that the uh, household is giving equally to the man's interest or and the women's interest. Or, as some people have said, there's her gifts, his gifts, and our gifts. Right. And so I think that's where you you say what are what are the bridges back to the men in our lives, and and for those of us who are. Um, married to men or have men partners um that and it, uh it's very important to to talk about these issues in a family and um some women have not even women who are uh what you would perceive as very feminist women when when they come to a seminar or something they say oh my gosh I've never thought about that our philanthropic money goes to his alma mater Right. Because I've just never thought about it. Or to my children's alma maters and my husband's, but not my own. Well, you can imagine if a University of Wisconsin graduate is telling me that, and I am thinking, okay, we have to talk about parity and giving for mm-hmm. households, for our women graduates who are not married to our grads, but also think of all the women's colleges and that's where the idea of parity and giving in the household really started with right. women's colleges because you get this business of a man graduating from Harvard, a woman graduating from Wellesley, and all the money goes to Harvard. So look at that with higher ed, but look at that everywhere in society. What are the different designations that women are going to bring to the philanthropic household? Are they going to be more directed to families? to homeless people, to delivering of services, or to looking at issues at universities related to research around families or the arts or whatever. And I think that's part of the research that's going on or what are the different philanthropy priorities of women, how are they different. And we've addressed that somewhat in the book and some of the research at the Women's Philanthropy Institute has really gone deeper into that. And one of the things is related to what we were all talking about earlier is the aspect of women are adding on um, global giving more than men. International giving, women are giving substantially more than men. So, and there's all kinds of, you know, differences. But so I think, again, back to your to your um, issue is um, to bridge this with men is is to talk about parity of giving, is to talk about giving to your own priorities and saying that there are differences to the men in the way I think I think about giving and let's just respect our our different ways. I think another issue is you, you can't assume that all women are going to say women is a separate demographic to be looked at. 
a lot of younger women who haven't really studied women's philanthropy or they may have gone up in a very male environment and said that have been wage earners and said I don't really think like the rest of women and it's not a legitimate demographic to look at and I think some of that is um, age with women in that once they reach a certain age, um, they start to feel a little differently. Um, but right. it's okay. They can think whatever they want. Uh, but as long as I think they do, and we all respect whether they're men or women or other people, their own attitudes towards philanthropy, we rejoice in that as long as they're philanthropic. But I think one of the, what we focused on women because we really felt they were not giving to their potential as much as they wanted to and as society needed them to do. Um, so that is why we we really believe very strongly, obviously, that women are a separate demographic to look at. And um, that's we want to look also, you know, at families, that family philanthropy with, with our men and with our children is so critical to um, the future of our society. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the future of philanthropy because you know, with with so much uh, talk uh, of late about you know going off of the the cliff here as a country and you know the potential of uh, you know going into another recession, uh, you know, and I've heard a lot of folks talk about what's going to happen if you know there are new taxes uh, on on those that uh, have a greater propensity to give, whether male or female. So what is the future of philanthropy, and how can we educate folks on, uh, you know, continuing to give no matter what the circumstance? Well, I see in the future so much of a of a generational trend. Uh, uh, Martha and I have done a lot over the years with working with generations and and how they give and, and the differences in the ways that the, the generations give. And one thing that the Center in Philanthropy has, has found out is that as the generations come down and we get into Gen X and Gen Y, uh, the the men in those generations are behaving more like women in their giving. Not totally, but more like women in their giving. But uh, there's so much that I see in these young young people who are are really born uh, knowing that they're going to be philanthropists, knowing that philanthropy is, is part of what their um, uh, destiny is and looking at issues and saying, oh, we don't have to have a committee to to do this. Uh, one or two of us can get together and solve these issues. And they look at at the world and and to them, uh, really, the world's kind of flat um, because they say and and we have numerous quotes saying that what happens in one part of the world impacts what happens in in their own community and they they look at everything in a in a global way i'm just truly amazed at at these young people in these generations x and y and and they say that every 8 uh decades a generation comes along a new civic generation that it is it, it's the fix it generation and i i think we're seeing that fix it generation in in especially gen y who who just are born wanting to make things better and knowing that they don't there's nothing standing in their way right and uh, i i truly believe that that is is the future of of philanthropy is looking at what these young people are doing using the social media um, addressing uh, problems head on, like the old story about the the dying babies and trying to rescue the babies, and somebody says, "Well, let's go upstream and find out why they're why they're drowning." That's what that's what these generations are doing. So, right. I am very very hopeful that um, philanthropy uh, that the world will will truly be a better place because of the young people. Martha, did you have something to? Well, ab- absolutely, uh, and I, I do think the the social media does make a difference in that it gets news out of needs of society so so quickly. Right. You know, with um, her, the Hurricane Sandy or uh, any of the disasters we've had. Um, but I I do wish 
that we could use them, use the social media more effectively um, to get at issues other than, you know, immediate crises. So I think that's a challenge for all of us to um, look at, you know, pro- the you know major issues in society and how we can work across sectors. That means, you know, government, philanthropy, business, um, to really look at some of these issues. Um, and because, of course, a lot of these issues are, are, are caused by unemployment. So business and government and nonprofits have to work, work on that issue. And then some of it is direct needs to people to keep their head above water in the meantime. Right. Um, and so you have to look at all the ways to, to solve a problem and how can people give their money how can people give their time? Some people decide to spend their whole career in solving all these problems through government, right. and um, lately that hasn't been in the press as popular. But people have dedicated their lives as public servants on, you know, the environment or the homeless by going in to work for government. I think a lot of that um, zeal is still there for younger people. Um, in both philanthropy and in working in government. And also I think business people, younger business people, feel a civic responsibility, as Sandra mentioned, that, um, you know, obviously we want to encourage that in each of the sectors as they work together in the the idea of a common good in America and, and in the world. And that's what our country is based on, the idea of a common good. We're seeing more and more women too in positions of in, in corporations uh, of the foundations of corporations being in in the top positions, and and I think that's going to be we think that's going to be very helpful in terms of the ways that that women give because they're going to be more likely to give to solve some of these issues with with the kinds of money that the foundations have to give out. Um, so, so we're very we're very pleased about the fact that there there are so many women now in those positions to help make those decisions. That's another. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, Sandra, because um, there were I was asked recently to write an article on um, kind of emerging trends in women's philanthropy, and it, you know every day I read the New York Times and look at everything I read. Of course, is like related to women's philanthropy. But there were, um, in one day, it was November 8th, there were so many articles that were about women. I was right because of the election. And one of them was studying, it was two professors, looking at when you get a number of women on a board of a corporation, what percentage do they, um, what's their non-profit, what's their philanthropy? And it was, dramatically higher when more women were on the board. And then there was another article on women uh, in politics. If you have women uh, on a committee, uh, of a, they were talking about, you know, that threshold. We always talk about, two. I think on corporate boards is getting women. You have to have three, you know, to make mm-hmm. a difference and to make the right. women feel comfortable. In, right. and, and what they showed is when there was this certain level of women on boards that the committees or whatever government function, they looked more at family issues and the poor and taking care of needy in our society. I mean, it was just amazing that it was the same kind of message. And, of course, these are older women, these are younger women, um, but a lot of it, the studies, of course, ha- have been done, too, on business women. What difference does that make? Um and it makes a lot of difference that women are more focused on certain issues. Well, and, and you know, the, the correlation as you talk about women being on boards and giving more, um, you know, when when there are more women on boards, the companies are more profitable to begin with. So there is more of a sense of surplus, I think. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, you know, I haven't haven't uh, done a study on that, but I but I really think that that is true, and I'm I'm. Uh, 
taking a look at the travel industry as a, a you know just as a sector that uh, is kind of its own ecosystem. It happens to be the largest industry in the world uh, outside of government. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to take a look at that dimension of giving because I, I think that that is a really, really important point because we're going to look at which companies have women on the senior executive team reporting to the, the uh, CEO and, you know, which ones have women on boards. But uh, I'm going to add that philanthropy thing. Uh, absolutely. There you go. Yeah, but um, absolutely. If you could do that, share it with us. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, this, but there's been a number of different studies on this, and then this issue, the New York Times had these latest ones, and um, then also this one related to government, and they were talking about the need for more women to run for office, for more women to be around the board table, um, not only for the issue of, of you know the profitability issue which you mentioned, but also because um, they tend to want to help people more in need and. And that's important in our country. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, it has been terrific to reconnect with the two of you. And uh, the book that we have been discussing is Women and Philanthropy. And uh, the subtitle is Boldly Shaping a Better World. Uh, One of the things I I absolutely love about this chapter about the future uh, at, at the end of the book, uh, it talks about bold women giving boldly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we certainly have a lot of bold women within the Executive Girlfriends group and uh, would love to see them step up uh, to form the giving circles. And I know that there's a, also a chapter in the book about giving circles and, and getting involved in them. So, uh, again, I want to thank our guests and uh, you guys have just been terrific, and especially uh, since I, I already interviewed you on my Uncommon Giving uh, show to come back uh, again. Sandra Shaw-Hardy and Martha Taylor. Can uh, one of you or, or both of you give us some information about if people want to get in touch with you, um, how they can do that? Go ahead, Sandra. Uh, yes, we have a, a website called... Um, Women in Philanthropy, uh, Shaping a Better World. And uh, if you spell all that out, uh, or even if you spell some of it out, it will uh, it will bring up our website. And then uh, my personal um, ab- address is uh, Sandra Shaw Hardy at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. And mine is Martha dot Taylor one at msn dot com. All right, terrific. Well, it has been terrific and uh, would just love for you guys to stay in touch and and, uh, keep us posted on what you've got going on. Um, When I get this study of the travel industry done, I will definitely share that back with you. Thank you for doing that, Chickie, and have a wonderful, happy holiday season and uh, uh, enjoy it with your family. It sounds like a wonderful time, and we will too. Okay, terrific. We'll have a great weekend, too. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for joining the Executive Girlfriends Group, and we do hope you have a happy holidays. If you'd like more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, see www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com.